the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. And welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Now we've got a, a special chat with Miriam Jaw, uh, also known as Tank Girl, who is in... Where are you at the moment, Miriam? I am in my home in Portland, Oregon. Um, one of two homes that I spend time in. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, I'm in the U.S. Yeah, but you've you've just been uh, you've just been at Microsoft Build in Seattle though, which is the reason for our chat. Indeed, and it's close to where I am right now, which is why I went. Um, and you know, it was a great show. I think there's a lot of substance there. Uh, Microsoft really growing up as a company and really putting um, their weight behind the cloud. Great. Well, let's uh, let's dive into. Some of the highlights. Now, first up, an area that I think is of interest to a lot of people, but it's, uh, I guess it, it's an area where it hasn't gone super mainstream yet, and that's the area of, of virtual reality, augmented reality, and as Microsoft calls it, mixed reality. Um, we, we, we saw a bit more at this uh, build than what we've seen before around some of the new lower-cost uh, hardware that's designed to be a lot more accessible to the general public. Yeah, so you know the thing about MR mixed reality is I think it's a it's not just a Microsoft term. It's it's kind of the the term the industry is heading towards to describe a world where we you know superimpose data on top of the real world and as well as potentially jump back into a VR environment and switch back and forth. Um you know, AR is is a little limiting, right? Because you're not, you know, you're supposed to just augment things. Whereas mixed means that you could, you know, you're you're really kind of like blending the two more. And I think that's kind of why they picked that wording. You know, if you talk to people like Robert Scoble, uh, who are, you know, obviously very deep in the uh, into the VR and AR and MR rabbit hole, they use the word MR as well. I think I think that's kind of where the industry is heading. Um, I think also because AR just lost its meaning somewhere along the way. So let's hit the reset button, I guess, is the idea. They had um, a bunch of the devices there, the Acer headset and the HP. The HP one was actually not physically there to be found, but they showed it on on stage. Um, and there was, of course, the the HoloLens, uh, which has you know, been a device of Microsoft's for a while for MR. Now, it's unclear to me. I, I got to play with the Acer device, but I didn't get to, f- you know, figure out whether the it can turn into like an an MR headset where you can look, see through it. But in the mode that I used it, it was a VR type of experience. Like it blocked my world outside. Yeah, that's what know. I've been reading about it. It's, it's but a- I hear there's a lever, and you can kind of op- like you can tilt the the visor up or something and then use it as an MR headset. Anyway, the bottom line is it's a 1440 by 1440 display on each on each eye and it's uh, up to 90 hertz refresh rate, which is all these numbers just mean that it's going to be high quality and well suited for for con- for quality content. Um, I'm not sure much more about the specs. There's an umbilical cord with a HDMI 2 port at the end and the USB type 3 uh, connector, um, right. So, so this will plug uh, into a plug into your PC, and you need a reasonably yeah. grunty machine to run it. Right. So, and they, and from the specs, it looks like you can't just pull out like um, you know a, your average laptop to do it. You need discrete graphics on your laptop or your desktop machine. Um, it doesn't need to be quite the level of 
oomph that you need for Oculus or Vive, but it looks like, um, so it's a little more accessible. And of course the pricing is, is pretty reasonable. I, I can't remember the pricing on the Acer. Yeah, I've just, just seen um, the base price for the Acer will be 299 US, which right, which was right. the, the figure um, that, that was shared a few months ago. Uh, HP's um, offering 329 US. Uh, and then Acer will have an offering at $399 and that will uh, that will include controllers. So th- right. there's, uh, there's a few variations there. Sure. So let's talk about the motion controllers actually. Uh, but but before, before we do, just to wrap it up, basically, so these are very kind of like, uh, they're supposed to be mixed reality in the sense that uh, supposedly, but I haven't been able to prove this, you can lift the visor and turn it into something you see through. Uh, and but I'm not exactly sure that's the case, at least on the Acer. Um, and then uh, the price I think is right. The hardware it's a little you know weird with this blue color. It feels like a kind of a gaming, you know, like the it's got the, all the makings of the the aesthetics of a gaming accessory, right? More than like something like Hololens that looks really kind of futuristic. Um, and as I said, it just has a type, a standard USB 3 Type A connector and HDMI 2. So you're going to have a lot of choices as to what you can connect this into. Now, the motion controllers are interesting because they do not require a, an external sensor or an external camera to function, unlike the Vive con- controllers or the, uh, the Oculus ones. Um, they are basically um, using the headset as the point of reference. So as long as you hold them in front of you, where the you know where your headset is pointed, uh, more or less, and they're in a pretty wide field of view in front of you, you'll be fine. Which is really unique and really cool because you could basically do MR or VR in any space without having to set anything up. Just pull that stuff out and get going. Right. Whereas so yeah, we 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 used to uh, um, yeah other other products where basically you've got to put um, things in the you know in in four corners of a of a room to be able to locate you and where you are, right? Right. And they're officially called the Windows Mixed Reality Controllers. And my understanding, these are made by Microsoft. And so on this, what we think is a bundle for $399 with the Acer headset, I think these are Microsoft controllers bundled with the Acer headset. And it's really much, I think from my understanding, pretty much a developer-type package. I'm not sure this is a, uh, at least for now, if you buy that package, it's really designed for developers. To you know, to get going, and I, I don't think you're going to get much content for that uh, for that environment off the top, you know, off the shelf. So just 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 be aware of that if you're a gamer out there, don't get too carried away yet. This is more for for developers. Um, but it's the controllers are cool. They have um, a trackpad on them and and like a bunch of knobs and and buttons, and they seem to be very ergonomically des- well designed. And they have these these LEDs uh, in a in like kind of like a ring around them that I guess are used by the, the the tracking system. And I think this is the thing you have to understand. The difference between this Acer and HP headset and say some like a Gear VR headset or or other the fact that it's tethered to a computer um, or even those Chinese made, you know, uh, no name brand headsets that you can buy is that this has a lot of the same sensors on board as the Holo, um the HoloLens does. So it has like basically this very similar set of sensors as what we've seen with Google Tango or, or you know, in the past, Connect. Um, 
and and all mounted in the visor with like multiple cameras and infrared sense, you know, uh, projectors and receivers that basically put a grid, a laser grid on the world and able to measure depth and measure look position. And, you know, the six axis gyro. So there's a lot of extra hardware on there that is going to make it possible to have a very accurate experience in a VR or MR world. And that's, I think, what really makes these two devices unique and different, is that you're getting a lot of the HoloLens um, capabilities for a fraction of the price. Yeah, that's. I think that's pretty exciting. Now, on to other topics. Uh, Microsoft have been pushing ahead with Windows running on ARM and delivering compatibility with, with existing uh, x86 apps so you know what that means for the for the non uh, technical in the in the audience is the chips that are in most smartphones today uh, will going forward also be in laptops uh, but in the past those chips weren't compatible with our standard windows uh, applications things like uh, Photoshop and the you know the the many many applications that we've been running on windows in some cases for uh, for decades uh, but this new version of uh, of Windows uh, 10 will be able to do all of that on these uh, super uh, power efficient chips that you know I guess we, we, you know we'll certainly see uh, some new phones coming in some form from Microsoft uh, but we w- we will also see these chips uh, becoming available in in a range of other uh, devices such as laptops right what did you what did you see down that track there was nothing there but but the thing is i want to caution you i don't think we're going to see a phone from microsoft it it seemed very clear to me at build um that's not the top of the list at the moment you know joe belfiore went on stage i actually caught up with him later on and and he showed me his surface laptop but but joe uh, on stage kind of used the windows phone briefly and kind of made it sound like you know this is the past now and we've moved moved on i mean it was implied it was kind of an in-joke with the audience everybody laughed Everybody cheered, actually, because he used a Windows phone. But he kind of indicated that he only had brought one up there to, to make everybody happy and that it really wasn't where the Microsoft's interest lied going forward. So, But, but back to the ARM thing. Um, so if, if I want to add a few things to what you said. First of all, um, this is nothing new, okay? Uh, it's new for Windows, but when Apple switched from PowerPC chips two Intel chips in 2007, eight, whenever that was, they, um, they added an emulation layer on the Intel uh, um, machines, well, on the OS for the Intel machines, which I think at the time was like Tiger or something or, or Leopard, that um, allowed you to emulate PowerPC, a legacy PowerPC apps, um, not emulate them, but have a layer of emulation to run them. And they did that in a touch, such a flawless way. It was really incredible. Now, of course, the PowerPC chip was much more powerful than the, uh, sorry, the, uh, the Intel chips were much more powerful than the PowerPC chips of the time. So emulating PowerPC on that, those Intel chips made it pretty seamless. And and the technology was called Rosetta, and it worked really well. So Apple's It was pretty fast, out. which I think was a standout yeah, thing. Before exactly. that, Emulation was was often pretty uh, pretty sluggish and, so, and and slow, right? So now we're seeing this on 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 Windows, which is exciting. Which means that now we can use ARM processors or Intel processors for Windows machines, whether these machines are tablets, phones, which, as I said, we're not probably going to see from Microsoft ever again, uh, or or uh, laptop surfaces, that that sort of stuff, uh, desktops. Um, 
but desktops probably less likely because they're not as power uh, power constrained, right? Uh, but ARM chips have, in case you're wondering why would you want an ARM chip, they are very power efficient. They're very small. They're very they run very cool. Uh, no no cooling fans required. Uh, obviously, they're in your phone. Um, they have pretty high graphics performance to their GPUs. They have generally integrated modems so that you can actually connect to the cell phone networks uh, out of the box, basically, with just one chip. Um, so there's a long number of advantages that you can't find on Intel chips. The drawback is that they're not really designed to run desktop-grade OSs. So, and this is, my experience confirms this. If you use a Chromebook, for example, that's on an ARM device, a Chrome, Chrome OS, um, runs fine on Intel and ARM has done that for from day one pretty much. So uh, on ARM devices, it's 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 a little more sluggish, and I think the reason for that is um, for a desktop class experience, um, the 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 architect the x86 architecture is just better equipped to run that, um, and and potentially we're going to see the same problem on on ARM Windows on ARM. But emulation wise, we have another problem: is that emulating x86 Intel on an ARM processor is extremely um, resource intensive. And I think that's not going to be nearly as smooth as we're going to see with, with uh, you know, um, with what we saw on PowerPC in, 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 in the Apple days and back in the day. So I think you know, I just want people to understand that I'm not saying you shouldn't go out and buy an ARM-based, like really affordable ARM-based Windows 10 laptop in, you know, six months when they're out. Um, but if you only run occasional legacy apps like x86 apps, like an old version of Photoshop or something, yeah, by all means, you'll be fine. If you only run one of those apps at a time, you'll be fine. I think is if you have a lot of these legacy apps and you're used to running them simultaneously, that you're probably better off sticking with an Intel machine. That's that's my takeaway. But okay. it's really exciting that Microsoft has gone through the effort of making this um, seamless, transparent, and actually has put it in there. Uh, it opens up a whole new dimension of affordable, um, long battery life laptops and tablets. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, what comes and you know how we go performance wise over the over the next few years ahead. Because I imagine that um, uh, if if this is a a popular use of ARM chips, then their performance will will get better at uh, at emulation. Also, of course, app developers will be able to compile their apps to uh, to run natively on arm as well so so you know we have some interesting times ahead now on that on that front microsoft is really pushing towards people putting their app developers making their apps available in the windows store rather than the uh traditional methods of of uh distribution of windows apps and uh there's a reason for that right i don't know if you've covered this in your podcast so please stop me if you have but windows 10s is the reason for that um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, please feel free to let me know. I can elaborate a little more. Yeah, I think and, we chatted we chat a little bit about uh, Windows 10 S uh, last week and and that right. and that push to uh, to the store. Um, but they made a bit of an announcement app build, didn't they? Around a um, yeah. a reasonably well known app that's uh, that's coming to the store. And, and right now, there just aren't that many uh, traditional Windows apps that have been uh, that have been put in the store. Even though you know it's a reasonably rudimentary uh, process for developers to uh, to have their apps sort of wrapped up and and made available through the store. Yeah, so they surprised us a little bit at the keynote by saying iTunes, Apple's iTunes, will be available as a in the Windows Store as as an app to download. So it'll work on Windows 10s, for example, since 10s only allows you to install apps from the Windows Store. 
Um, and that's exciting um, to me, but it's it's a bit weird because look, people immediately said, well, of course they need to do that if you know they want iTunes to run on Windows 10s. And I'm like, yeah, but when is the last time you would say, of course they do that about Apple, right? I mean, does what's the impetus for Apple? In fact, I would argue that if they don't support Windows 10s by not putting the iTunes app in the Windows Store, they might be further ahead because they're they're encouraging, you know, they're not encouraging people to buy really affordable Windows 10s laptops and instead buy Macs. Well, I think so, it's it's probably more to to um, to some degree. It's more Google that world's a little bit more power there, and it may be uh, maybe some time before we before we see anything from Google in terms of a browser for Windows uh, 10s and through the store. And there, there's a few reasons for that, but um, you know, basically Microsoft at, at this stage, if you want to. Uh, uh, if you want to develop an app, a, a browser for Windows 10s, uh, then it, it's it's much like if you want to develop a browser uh, for iOS. And uh, you know, on on the iPhone, uh, you know, we we see that with other browsers such as Chrome being available, but underneath they're basically uh, they're they're driven by uh, you know by Apple's own uh, you know um, code and uh, and safari basically so they're, they're really just a skin over safari in in many regards um yeah. no but what i'm what i'm getting to is that i think the the, the thing here is that it, it, it struck me as odd it's like mm. you rarely see apple lead in that area like having them at a major you know having them make this app available itunes available in the windows store and it being announced by microsoft on stage at build is odd because they in the long run I could see them having done that you know maybe Windows 10s is taking off it's very maybe it becomes very successful in education and then of course you want people to be able to plug their iPhones into their Windows 10s machines and manage the content etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, and then you need Windows uh, you need iTunes in a Windows store but this is not the world we live in Windows 10s doesn't really count for anything right now the fact that Apple would go through that extra step seems um, unusual for them, and that's kind of what I'm trying to point out. Right, there's, right. Well, I guess Microsoft have, have done the same. Don't you agree with uh, with make you know with su- supporting certain things from from Apple iPad Pros and 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 the like uh, very early on? Choice. Apple is a juggernaut. Microsoft is not. So I think uh, you know this is a kind of what I find surprising about this announcement. Um, okay. And it wasn't like an Apple person came on stage or anything. It was just you know I think it was Joe Belfiore again just saying, hey, by the way, uh, speaking of significant apps in the Windows Store, iTunes is coming to the Windows Store. Okay, wow, interesting. So yeah, I it's it's it was a kind of a weird thing. People kind of all looked at each other and went, what? what? Wait. Well, that's weird, uh, you know. Um, but it's good. It's good for the end user, right? So, like, for you guys are all going to benefit if you buy a Windows 10s machine. You'll be able to use your iPhone or iPad. Awesome. But it just politically strikes me as strikes me as a very odd kind of initial partnership, just simply because Apple doesn't usually play in that in that realm. Like, it's not their style. Yep. Yep. No, fair point. Now, uh, a couple of other things that uh, that stood out of interest. Um, the cloud-powered um, clipboard, which was was mm-hmm. was shown off, uh, running between Windows and and a mix of devices, um, and the the Windows uh, timeline. What did what did you see there? Are these uh, yeah, are these the, pretty interesting? Big, for sure, I think it's it's cool stuff. The biggest the biggest takeaway here is Microsoft Graph is you know was originally kind of a, an announced 
to, for enterprise use. And it was it's basically a way to tie together all the different bits of Microsoft Cloud services into a single login and a single, you know, service basically. And and it's basically what Cortana uses, right? To it's it's it, the graph is really what ties all your devices and all your content and all your apps and all your your cloud services together. That's what what it is. And so these these features and there's more than there's more than that. There is um there is a few here. Let me see. I'm gonna look at my notes. So the, the first one is is uh, OneDrive files on demand. Then there's Windows Thailand, which you mentioned. Then there's also the cloud uh, cloud powered clipboard. All three of these are kind of tying into the Microsoft Graph, and they're allowing cross platform compatibility um, on some new things. For example, uh, the the clipboard lets you co copy and paste content between various uh, various devices. How would you do that? You're going to ask. Practically, uh, you could install SwiftKey on a Android phone. SwiftKey supports Microsoft Graph. They have an agreement, they have a partnership. Um, any developer can add Microsoft Graph support to their to their app, right, on all these different platforms, iOS, Android, Windows, whatever. Um, and then that, the moment that happens is when you copy from the from the SwiftKey keyboard, you can, it'll, it'll basically go up to the cloud into Microsoft's cloud. And you have you have like a clip that sits there. So now you can bring up you log into your Windows machine or even your Mac. And then uh, if you're running you know another one Windows Graph compatible product, you can paste back from the clipboard, right? Uh, now it's native on on Windows 10, which is what makes it more exciting, I think. Um, they didn't mention of any uh, Mac support, but Mac support could be added by a third party developer at this point. So you, you can see where this is going. Um, a timeline is is similar in the sense that it it's kind of like time machine but not for backup so it's it's more like keep showing you all the documents and things and websites you visited over time it's like think of your browser history on steroids where not only the sites that you access are shown but all the various things you did on your computer like i worked on this word document or i work on this photoshop this jpeg image um, and then you can go back a week ago and say, what was that document I was working on Friday afternoon? I remember I spent two hours Friday afternoon, but I cannot find this. I can, it's, I'm, I'm having a really hard time locating it on my on my file system, right? Um, you can then find it with Windows Timeline very easily. So think of it as like a combination of Spotlight on the Mac with Time Machine on the Mac, but it doesn't do backup, so it's not really like Time Machine, but the interface is kind of like Time Machine. Right. And, 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 et cetera. and it works, again, Microsoft Graph, so across all your devices, right? Uh, and then the last feature that ties in with that is is OneDrive on demand. And OneDrive, you know, you're familiar with it. It's kind of like kind of like you know Dropbox or Google Drive. But the on demand part means that it's now integrated very deep into the Windows 10 experience to the point where if you um, go to the like so say you have two PCs side by side, right? On on the PC on the left you create a file on the desktop. You call it like myfile.txt. It's just a text file. Use Notepad to create it. Um, it's, it exists on the hard drive of that machine on the left. It's a real file. It's there, right? It's on the desktop. Now, if you go log in to, with the same account to the machine on the right that does not have that file on the desktop, you will see that file on the desktop. You're going to see so far that's very much like Dropbox. The difference is that I can now go in the command line on the machine on the right and navigate to the desktop and go dir and show the directory of the files and see the file and can i can now type the command type 
you know, my my text. See what's stuff, in the file. Yep. And you can see it, it like in the OS at the low level, it goes to the cloud, goes to OneDrive, gets that file, puts it on the machine, caches it locally, and lets you see the content like right there on the spot. So it's really deeply integrated uh, cloud file system, and you can decide which so, files so, are. And that's made. even if a file's not not be you know you're not set up to synchronize that that file or that Correct. folder so that that area which, you'll still you actually choose, be able to access it in a traditional choose, manner yeah you actually choose what you want to synchronize there's some things you can you can omit some folders if you want to not synchronize them you can also pin files where they are going to be on that machine no matter what so that you never have to worry about having an internet connection uh but it will refresh them when it has an internet connection and then um you know, it shows you the status. There's an extra field in the Windows Explorer that will show you uh, which files are actually physically on your machine right now and which it would have to pull from the cloud if you tried to open them. Right. Uh, now, Dropbox very, are doing something clever. similar, but this sort of t- this takes it to a, to a next level, this in your opinion? Like super low level. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, of course, if you have an Android phone and you install Cortana on it um, or, you know, OneDrive on it, you instantly see that file as well. Right. Um, like you don't see it. It doesn't physically exist on the phone, but you can access it from OneDrive. So it's kind of cool because imagine for a second that if anything on your desktop, you decided that you you would it would go to the cloud for not only for backup purposes, but also for potential sharing and for making it completely available on all your devices. Um, you could just open your phone at the airport and go, oh, what was that file I was working on my desktop last? Right. And boom, there it is, right? And, and you can download it at that point, of course, in the traditional OneDrive interface without the – because Android doesn't have a low-level OS-based thing that goes to Microsoft's cloud to get your files, right? But but because you have installed the OneDrive app you know, or Cortana, say, you can do that. Um, and, and related to this, this, this what I just described and to Windows timeline – is, is the ability to to resume exactly where you left off. So there's this new feature in the Windows timeline where if you close your laptop lid, you get a bunch of apps and websites open, you can then log into another machine at home, say, on your, des- you know, de- your desktop at home, and you can be- get back to the exact state you were at, including like cursor positions and stuff. Um, it's very, very powerful and very cool. So, so these are really interesting features that are obviously very Microsoft-specific, but... Uh, you know, these are APIs that developers can use with the Microsoft Graph to put in their own apps on Android and iOS and and in Windows um, to 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 leverage this functionality, which is very very powerful stuff. That's great. Well, thanks for that uh, that overview. Um, the last thing Microsoft uh, have been showing off um, that we quick chat about uh, Fluid Design. Now I see Microsoft uh, Fluent Design and Microsoft have got a site up uh, fluent.microsoft.com where they've got uh, where they've got a whole bunch of uh, info on that. That seems to be Microsoft's uh, new design language. Did that jump out at you? Is it uh, does it look pretty cool? I mean, it looks cool. It, you know, traditionally, the, the whole Microsoft UI for the last few years since Windows Phone basically has been, uh, you know, about very flat tiles. And um, it looks it looks clean and simple. But, you know, they've, they're adding a bunch of, like, tenets to that and, you know, motion and dimension and depth and, and scale. And I can't remember. All they're, they're all listed there. You're probably at the website right now, so you can probably read them out for me. But... Um, yeah, material the, the materials in there, depth and uh, motion, light, and uh, scale. Right, and the idea is that um, they want the user experience from Windows to be able to scale into VR and, and, and MR, 
and into games and into uh, the desktop and into touchscreen uh, content like a tablet running Windows uh, uh, or or even uh, you know if they ever make phones again phones right so um, they're kind of grow it's 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 kind of a, re- a, re- a revisit of their their user experience uh, UI um, experience and uh, I think it looks what I saw looks good they, I, I mean I don't know if you know I don't know if I I would run up and down the aisles screaming with joy about it but it's uh, <laughs> it's cool like it's it's a definitely uh, looks aesthetically more pleasing. Um, but it might simply be because we're all used to this very flat design. Because when the flat design first came out, I thought it was very refreshing too, you know? Cool. Well, thanks very much for your time. Much appreciated. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up soon. Now, uh, in the next few days will be the launch of your new podcast. That is right. I'm very excited about the mobile tech podcast. Uh, the hashtag is ma, uh, is is. What is it actually? Let me see. I tweeted it the other day. I made up a hashtag, so I should know what it is. But uh, of course, I've only done it once. So let me see. I just want to want it. I want to get it right. It is, it is a tech mobcast. Nice. And the reason that I did that is because um, the the mobcast joke was kind of like something that I did back in my days at Engadget. We called our mobile podcast the mobcast, and so, you know, it's technically the mobile tech podcast, but tech mobcast is a hashtag because it just kind of works well with my. My, my previous world. So those of you who don't know me, I used to work at Engadget and I used to run the mo- the Engadget mobile podcast there. And it was very, very popular. And uh, I had, uh, I started podcasting way before Engadget, um, mostly in video back, like very early on video podcasting. Um, and then after I left Engadget, I continued podcasting on my own, uh, also in video, live video, which was kind of crazy. But I want to return to my roots a little bit. And so I'm going to be doing this podcast uh, audio only, primarily. There's going to be times when it's going to be also live video for people who want to tune in, but primarily audio, um, you know, weekly, and it's all about mobile phones, all about personal gadgets and devices, and all about, you know, portable things and the gadgets that you love and use every day. Um, and, you know, because I'm a big car enthusiast, there'll be some car stuff in there. I, I think of cars as gi- very large mobile devices. That's kind of why I always include them in mobile. Um, that's my way of justifying my interest. And, and so if you want to hear all the latest news about phones, and I'm talking about in-depth, I get all you, the You get into the real with. deep sort of nitty-gritty aspects, yeah, yeah. right? I get, Specifications. I get all the phones to play and, with. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm very lucky because I, you know, I get access, which is very important. So I, I review phones for chipchick.com. And, and, but that's text. That's your photos. That's not like, you know, my, you know, if you want to hear my opinions from me in verbal form while you're driving to work in the morning about the latest phones, this is the podcast to tune into. If you want to find out what's in my pockets, I always carry a lot of different phones at all times. You this do. Every, every time I see you pulling out new, uh, new, new phones. So, uh, it's, you know, it's great. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm a troublemaker and I'm full of opinions and I come up with crazy ideas and suggestions of what the world should do out there. And I'm, you know, I, I'm pretty well connected because I've been in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. So um, basically, I think it's going to be worth your while. If you're into mobile phones, this is the podcast for you. Um, it, it's going to be very much the same format as we had at Engadget Mobile. Uh, the Engadget Mobile podcast is gone now, so I, I don't feel like I'm stealing anything from them. Um, but uh, yeah. 
My first guest will be Richard Lai, who's uh, a former Engadget colleague of mine, who's actually the editor-in-chief of Engadget Chinese, um, but he lived in the UK and, and now he's in Hong Kong. Uh, and so he is also a pretty senior editor at the standard Engadget website. And he's a phone guru like me, like we're total phone nuts. So expect a lot of discussion, I think, around the Galaxy S8 and the LG G6 and basically all the current flagships. Uh, we all have reviewed them and played with them. And I haven't really shared my opinions with the world other than my reviews on ChipChick. So that's going to be a big part of the conversation. Microsoft Build is going to be a part of the conversation. And, uh, you know, generally we're going to talk about the phones we have in our pockets. Richard has access to a bunch of really cool phones because he's in Hong Kong. So he's right next to China. Phones that we don't get our hands on, like the Meizu's and the and the Mi, uh, Xiaomi phones. Um, so it's always really interesting to hear his perspective. I'm in Asia quite regularly for my consulting business and I and I and we hang out and we go to these uh, crazy markets where you can find like clones of, of, of you know, famous phones and Last year, I was there in, in November, and they had uh, Note 7s that they were selling. Like, Even though it was banned, right? they were selling these Note 7s still. So we go to these markets, and we explore, and we browse, and we, we'll talk about this kind of stuff. So tune in. It's going to be fun, um, and it's like an hour long uh, every week. So it'll be published, uh, Paul, I think uh, Wednesday night, U.S. time, Thursday morning, U.S. time, right? Yeah, probably the uh, yeah, th- Thursday, Friday, New Zealand uh, time for our local listeners. Uh, but yeah, I'm really I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh, it's great to have you on the network on our uh, worldpodcast.com uh, network. So yeah, anyone can go and uh, go and check out the uh, the website at mobiletechpodcast.com. Yeah. Dot com. Yeah. And if you need to follow me on Twitter to get news announcements, uh, you know, we're not going to create a new Twitter handle. My Twitter is very popular. It's Tank Girl without the vowels. It's T N K G R L. Think of the comic book Tank Girl, drop the vowels, and there you go. Uh, and hashtag Tech Mobcast. Um, join us um, next week. So basically, if you look at my Twitter, I posted the RSS feed. So if you subscribe to that, you will have the podcast drop in your box. Excellent. Sometime Friday morning, New Zealand time, Thursday morning, U.S. time, something like that. That's good. That's good. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, Miriam. We'll, uh, we'll catch you again soon. Uh, thanks for joining us here on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Thanks, Paul, for having me, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to do this podcast weekly. That's great. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. 